Hey, Amanda, remember that time that Langston Hughes was the first Black American to make a living from his writing? Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history. And here we are. We're doing it. We're doing the thing. I have a question for you. Yes. So when we're recording, we do like our little intro, right? Uh-huh. And do you... <laughs> After one of us gives the first intro, in between that time, do you in your head, like, kind of sp- sing a sped up version of the theme song before you no, start talking? No, I don't. Do I you? do it every time. <laughs> every That's time. That's incredible. No, I fully don't. Because I'm sitting here going, what do I say next? What do I say next? What do I <laughs> my, say next? My brain goes. <laughs> Welcome to, <laughs> like, I do it like a sped up version of it in my head. That's I think that's maybe because when you hear the finished one, you just hear it with that. I that's hear true. like twelve versions. Of, you know what I mean? That's like I true. hear it you individually it, so. before I put the music in, and then when I put the music in, I'm listening to it differently than you are. So I separate it completely. That's a good point. <laughs> just really was funny. doing it in my head. I was like, I wonder if Amanda does that. I love that you do that. That's so funny. Uh, I'm a weird person anyway here we are i'm I'm a weirdo (laughs) i'm a weirdo i'm weird okay Okay. i don't want to prolong this any longer but i also had an i'm a weirdo moment just now i was sitting here and we were talking and i did the intro and i was leaned up to my mic and then when you started talking i leaned away from my mic my mic and i felt like the every television show that makes fun of a podcast where they go okay and then they like kind of step back like i physically felt that and i felt really silly even though it was just like the way i was sitting yeah i mean we do we do that it's a real thing podcast too there's a reason it's like a thing people make fun of because you do it when you're podcasting i just physically felt like felt the moment happen and i felt silly doing it well here we are it's another Black History Month episode. Which I'm sure you gathered from the intro, from the right. last thir- 30 seconds of us talking. <laughs> yeah, we've said so much about it. Um, uh-huh. Before we get into the episode, would you like a drink update? Yes, please. I'm just having some Sprite today. Ooh. I love a Sprite, y'all. A I love sprite a Sprite. sounds so good right now. It literally Ooh, always maybe, sounds good to me. Now I want to order Wendy's for dinner so I can have a Sprite <laughs> with Wendy's. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> absolutely sometimes i just want to sprite with wendy's i absolutely know exactly what you mean if i'm eating fast food i want a dr pepper with meat and i want a sprite with chicken i I mean i pretty much pretty much always want a sprite except for mcdonald's sometimes i want a sweet tea sometimes i want a coke because a coke from mcdonald's is top tier well i'm drinking none of that (laughs) i'm drinking water yeah my throat is sore this weather i almost garbage I almost poured water today, and then I was like, no, the curse of Anna drinking water on the podcast shall not happen today. Whenever <laughs> I drink water while we record, something, something always breaks. goes wrong. Something so, breaks. I don't want to jinx it, so I'm going to knock on wood. Okay. So today, are we ready? Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Let's talk about Langston Hughes, one Yay! of my all-time favorite poets. Yeah. 
I remember the first Langston Hughes poem I ever read. It was Suicide's Note. It's like three lines. And I read it and I was like, <gasps> this, I mean, this is it. This is what I am doing <laughs> with my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. I like Langston Hughes. I don't know a ton about him, but I have liked everything I have ever read of his work. Yeah. So. Alrighty, ready? Yeah. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay. Oh, sorry, I gotta readjust in my seat. Okay. <laughs> you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> Whatever. All right. James Mercer Langston Hughes is born on February 1st, 1901. We'll come oh. back to that. In Joplin, Missouri. <laughs> Why we'll, come, the... we'll come back to it in just a second. Okay. First, I'm going to give a little bit of background on uh, his family. So, both of his paternal great-grandmothers, so his great-grandmothers on his dad's side, were enslaved Africans. And uh-huh. both of his paternal great-grandfathers were white slave owners. So. Wow. We all know what that means, right? That, yeah. Um, well, in Kentucky. Like, that's a lot to... For a person's life to, like, just yes. the history is a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? We're not done, though. I know. No, I know. Um, So that's on his uh, father's side. Um, On his mother's side, his grandmother, Mary Patterson, um, was of African-American, French, English, and Native American descent. Wow. Um, She was one of the first women to attend Oberlin College. Um, and she married someone named Lewis Sheridan Leary. This is her first marriage, um, who, uh, had joined John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, which we talked about. And he was fatally wounded there. Interesting. So, I I mean, he's not, I guess, technically related to Langston Hughes, but I just found that an interesting tidbit. That is very interesting. In his family history. I think a lot about, like, the history of a lot of people in America is much smaller than in other parts of the world. Like, you think, like, oh, so-and-so is related to this historic person. It's because, mm. like, historically there have been less people here right. than in other parts of the world. So I feel like a lot of people have, like, that weird, fun person that they're related to. Totally. Or, like, so-and-so was a part of this strange event or whatever. Well, and some people don't know. At all, yeah. Like, yeah. this There's is a that. lot, a lot to know. Yes. About it is. a black American's lineage. Absolutely. This is a lot to know, you know? Yeah. So, continuing talking about that, in 1869, um, Mary Patterson, who, remember, is Langston Hughes' maternal grandmother, uh-huh. she marries again um, into the Langston family. And they are like an elite, politically active family. Oh, okay. Um, and so her second husband is Charles Henry Langston. He is also um, African-American. Um, and he, so his now grandfather, and his grandfather's brother um, both worked for the abolitionist cause and helped lead the Ohio Anti-Slavery Society in 1858. Ah, okay. So some more, like, activist history here. 
So um, after Charles and Mary get married, they move to Kansas and they have a daughter, Caroline. Caroline becomes a school teacher and marries James Nathaniel Hughes. Caroline and James are Langston Hughes's parents. Um, Got it. Langston oh, this, and this is a lot. This is a lot to know. Yes. So those are actually like his his last names, but that's what he goes by right so it's like his mother's and his father's last names right langston hughes we mm-hmm. are gonna call him langston throughout just because like nobody ever uses his name james right. um and i don't want to get super confused so um he's the second child in the family and going back to that birth year most sources do say that he is born in 1901. However, in his own autobiography, he claims that he's born in 1902. So that's why I had a question mark. Huh. Because we don't really know. Most things say now, like, they are pretty sure it was 1901, but who knows? He says differently. That's so interesting. It's a lot of people, this is not quite the case once we reach the 1900s, but before then, people just didn't really care that much, like what year no. people were born. They were just like, no. ah, you are a kid. Now you unless, are young adult age. Now they, you are adult age. Like, unless eh. they stood to inherit something. Because yeah, they couldn't yeah. like inherit until a certain age. Right. For, for instance, royalty. Yes. Like, then they would have known. The reason we don't know for some of them now is because there's not record. But back then, they would have been like, they were born in this year. And we know because they need a region if I die, right? So that kind of thing they they cared about. But yeah, you're right. So shortly after um, he is born, his father leaves the family. Um, And a little while after that, he divorces his mother. So his father's not really there for most of the time he's growing up. Um, After his parents separated, they start moving a lot. So he lives in several different American cities. um, As his mom is looking for employment. Eventually, he goes to live with his grandmother, who we were talking about before, Mary Patterson Langston. Um, And he lives with her in Lawrence, Kansas, um, while his mother continues to, like, travel around to get work, basically. Okay. And his grandmother is really the person who instills this real sense of pride and duty in him um, for being a black American, right? Mm-hmm. And it really obviously sets the tone for his life and work, you right. know? I think, um, that's a, I think that's the story for a lot of black men in America, their grandmother mm-hmm. being like the person that instills that in them. Uh, yeah, and she um, passed down a lot of the like oral tradition. Absolutely, to him. yeah. Um, so. I wanted to read this little quote from his 1940 autobiography called The Big C um, because I I found it like an interesting tidbit about his younger years. Mm -hmm. So it says, I was unhappy for a long time and very lonesome living with my grandmother. Then it was that books began to happen to me and I began to believe in nothing but books and the wonderful world in books, where if people suffered, they suffered in beautiful language, not in monosyllables, as we did in Kansas. Oh, I love that. He's a good writer. <laughs> yeah, he is a good writer. He's a good writer. So 
His grandmother passes away, and when that happens, he goes to live with some family friends for a couple of years. Um, But then eventually he reunites with his mother, who has by this point remarried, and the family relocates to Cleveland. So this is where he goes to high school. He attends Central High School in Cleveland. Um, He writes for the school newspaper. He edits the yearbook. Um, And this is when he starts kind of writing his own short stories and poetry and plays. Um, And he starts to really get his a feel for something that he popularizes later, which is jazz poetry. So he's really well known for using the rhythm of jazz music to inform Uh his poetry. And he becomes really famous for this. I I feel like his work often gets associated with the Harlem Renaissance, which I'm sure we'll talk about Well, he's part of it. Yeah. I'm not going to go too deep into like the movement, but he certainly Uh was present for it. And and jazz is a huge part of that movement. Mm -hmm. So I think logically it makes sense that that would be... Mm-hmm. connected um so one of his earliest works and a lot of people consider it to be like his first real uh work is a poem that he wrote the summer after his graduation from high school and it's called the negro speaks of rivers and i would like to read it excellent because i love it um <clears throat> i am not as good at reading poetry as say uh Rachel McElroy, but uh-huh. I'm going to try. <clears throat> this is our own little poetry corner. The <laughs> poetry whole episode corner. is our poetry, poetry corner, but yeah. this specifically. Okay. Do you want me to do the um, the intro that Griffin does? <laughs> Some people might not know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Just a little, little, little base intro for our poetry. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in the human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when dawns were young. I built my hut near the Congo and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans, and I've seen its muddy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers, ancient, dusky rivers. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I wanted to include that because we're kind of going to reference back to it later. And also because I love it. It's beautiful. (laughs) I love that poem. Mm -hmm. So that's one of his earlier pieces. Um, Okay, so Langston Hughes does not have a good relationship with his father, as you might imagine, because he was not around present yeah um and his father after he left the family actually spent a lot of time traveling abroad um so when langston uh, in about 1919 langston goes to live with his father for a brief amount of time in mexico and then after he graduates from high school in 1920 he goes back to stay with him in mexico again um, because he wants to convince his father to finance his college. Okay. Um, Langston Hughes wants to attend Columbia University. Mm. His father does not want him to do that. He wants him to study abroad. And he wants him to study engineering. Because he'll make money doing that. Uh-huh. Um, he does not want Langston Hughes to become a writer. 
Um, so they uh, negotiate a little bit, and then eventually they agree that he will study engineering as long as he can do it at Columbia. Sure. So in 1921, Langston Hughes attends Columbia University. Um, while he's there, he publishes poetry in the Columbia Daily Specter under a pen name. Uh, but he's not there for long. Um, in 1922, he leaves school because the racial prejudice is too too much for him. Mm. Um, he Like, he's not allowed to live on campus. Right. We talked about that last week, mm-hmm. too. Or last episode. And so he he doesn't stay at Columbia for very long. Right. But because he attends Columbia, he's in New York. And in New York, he starts exploring Harlem. Well, would you look at that? Yes. And he gets very attached to it. He calls it the Great Dark City. Mm. Um, so this is when he starts kind of getting introduced to that um, area uh-huh. and the scene there. Um, But he doesn't really settle there just yet. Um, He starts to work a lot of odd jobs. But then in 1923, he actually begins um, serving as a crewman aboard the SS Malone. And because of that, he spends about six months traveling around West Africa and Europe. So, like, he spends some time in Paris and in London. He meets other writers there. I didn't go too deep into that there wasn't a lot about his time there other than he met these other writers, which is like, okay. Um, I don't know that we need to talk in depth about that. Um, so he returns to the U.S. in November of 1924, and he goes to live with his mother in Washington, D.C. for a little while. Um, again, he takes on some odd jobs before he eventually becomes a personal assistant to the historian Carter G. Woodson, at the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. Um, he doesn't stay there long either, though, because the hours are kind of grueling and he doesn't have time to write, which is what he wants to do. So he quits. Um, and then he starts working as a busboy at the Wardman Park Hotel. So this is important because... Up to this point, like, some of his work has been published in magazines, um, and he's kind of trying to get them into a collection for a book of poetry. And while he's working at this hotel, he meets the poet Vachel Lindsay. Vachel? Vachel? I never know how to say it. Um, And he shows him some of his poems. And then Lindsay um, basically puts out this notice in like newspapers and stuff that says i have discovered this black poet and he's amazing and then he starts to get some attention right so it's pretty important for his career right so in 1926 langston hughes decides he's going to go back to school and he enrolls in lincoln university which is an hbcu Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you're not in America and you don't know it, that stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Um, and it's in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Uh, he joins the Omega Psi, nope, Omega, yep, Omega Psi Phi fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> I can't read. Uh, um, and then in that same year, he receives the Witter Binner Briner. 
Binner, undergraduate Twitter Binner undergraduate poetry award. Um, and he publishes um, a manifesto mm. called The Negro Artist and the Racial Mountain. And it's published in The Nation. And you can look it up and you can read it as it like was originally published. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds and like the he, kind of book we would find in Ghost Palace. Yes, it totally does. Just I'm the actually title. kind of shocked it hasn't been printed there. Yeah. Um, he calls for a confident, uniquely black literature. Hmm. So this is really what he wants to push for is like this sort of um, the black identity, black American identity to be um, more represented in mm-hmm. American literature, basically. Mm-hmm. In 1929, he earns a BA from Lincoln University, and then he goes back to New York. <clears throat> so this is really more the time that he's going to be spending throughout uh, in Harlem. Um, he does he is going to travel a little bit, which we'll talk about, but he's he's settled back in New York at this mm-hmm. point. Um, he does travel to the Soviet Union, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Wild. Um, and he also travels to, like, parts of the Caribbean. Um, he helps launch a magazine called Fire. And I say it like that because it does have two exclamation points. <laughs> that was a good read of it, I think. Fire! Thank you. In 1930, his first novel called Not Without Laughter wins the Harmon Gold Medal for Literature. Wow, his first novel. <laughs> yeah. And then throughout the 30s, um, he he really leans more into the poetry and he starts writing more toward racial racial justice and political radicalism. Um, I know that you just but racial justice made me just think justice for the Rachel haircut from (laughs) I don't know why, but when I heard it, that is what came to my brain. Okay, sure. For no good reason. <laughs> okay. The Rachel. <laughs> the Rachel. Um, he travels to the American South in 1931. And this is when the Scottsboro case is happening, which I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail on because it could be its own Oh, totally. Thing. Yes. And also it's kind of... It could be very triggering. So I don't really want to talk too much in detail. But he, if you if you want to know more about it, just look up that, that case. And you'll, yeah. If you yeah. don't already know about it, like, yeah. okay, you've missed a pretty big chunk of history. But um, so he, um, in 1931, he starts working with uh, an illustrator, Prentice Taylor, and they create the Golden Stair Press. Um which which is I can't say S's today apparently. Which issues broadsides and books which feature Taylor's artwork and Langston's writing. Uh-huh. And in 1932 they issue the Scottsboro Limited, which is based on the trial of the Scottsboro Boys. Right. So that's the work that he does while he's there. Um. He travels. Um to like i said the soviet union he travels to haiti japan 
Um, and he serves as a newspaper correspondent in 1937 during the Spanish Civil War. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, he publishes a collection of short stories called The Ways of White Folks in 1934. That is a great title. I know. For a collection of <laughs> like, sh- short right. stories. Oh, also, yeah, I'm skipping through the 30s here a little bit. Sorry. Like, some of it I got from um, Britannica, some of it from, um, I think, the Poetry Foundation. So I'm just, like, kind of skipping around some of the works that he did through the 30s. This is the working years. Yeah. <clears throat> um. In 1935, one of his, he adapts one of his short stories into a Broadway show. Uh It premieres on Broadway. It's called Mulatto, which is a word that I don't like to use, but that's what it's called. Uh Um, And there are several other plays that he does, and there are productions of them in the late 30s. He also founds theater companies in Harlem and Los Angeles. Um, as well as founding the Skyloft Players in 1941 in Chicago, oh. which, which quote, sought to nurture black playwrights and offer theater from the black perspective. I've heard of the Skyloft Players. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about communism. Um <laughs> Let's Last episode it was, let's take a minute to talk about Hitler. And this episode it's, <laughs> let's take a minute to talk about communism. Yeah. Langston Hughes I'm down. Comrade, is, let's go. Yeah, Langston Hughes is drawn to communism. Sure. As an alternative to a segregated America. Right. right. He thinks, like, that's the solution. Right? Totally. Now, I will say, he wasn't super active, and he was not a member of the Communist Party. Um, he later, like, testifies in Congress, and he uh-huh. basically just says, like, I, um, you know, read about it and that I had an interest in it. But would, would I say I was active in it? No, I would not. Um, but he did have some lesser-known political writings um that are kind of i mean they reflect his his beliefs Mm -hmm. basically well when you boil communism down it's like yeah i could understand why that would be a thing that would be interesting to him but in the 1930s in america controversial no i know But in 1932 okay we're gonna go back to talking about the soviet union now remember how i said i'd get back to it yeah yeah he becomes part of a group of black folks who are who go to the Soviet Union um, with the purpose of making a film depicting the plight of African Americans in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never made, but it does mean that he gets to travel around and you know learn. Um, and he also goes to a lot of Soviet-controlled areas of Central Asia, which most people from the West, like, were not allowed in. Yeah, well, when you first said that he was traveling in the Soviet Union, I was like, well, that's rare to see people from America traveling in the Soviet Union. And it's not Russia. It's the Soviet Union. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's just, like, an interesting period of his life. Very interesting. Um, I am going to kind of breeze through um, some other things. Like I said, I don't, I'm not going deep into, like, um, the Harlem Renaissance, because 
there's just so much that goes on there. But suffice I w- it to I say, I would love to do a, d- a different episode on that. I think. Yeah, he was a very big figure in it. Absolutely. Um, certainly the most, I would say, the most famous writer to come out of it. Um. So. Okay, in 1940, he publishes that autobiography that we talked about called The Big C. And then in 1956, he actually publishes a second volume called I I Wonder As I Wander, which is like, whoa. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to read off a few more of his works that were pretty focused as um, African-American literature. So... We have 1956, A Pictorial History of the Negro in America. Um, In 1949, um, the anthologies, The Poetry of the Negro. And in 1958, uh, The Book of Negro Folklore. So he really has several, like, collections, basically, Uh about it. Um, He also translates the poetry of... Frederico Garcia Lorca, which I thought was interesting, huh. and Gabriella Mis- Gabriella Mistral. Um, he also becomes really well known for this character that he writes called Jesse B. Simple, also called throughout the writings, nicknamed Simple. Mm-hmm. So this is probably something that if you've read Langston Hughes, you would know. It's like a comic character. Uh-huh. Um, he's in lots of this character's in lots of columns that he writes in the Chicago Defender and the New York Post. Later, this character appears in a book and on in one of his plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes like a really popular, long-standing feature of his writing. Mm. Um, some academics believe that Langston Hughes was a homosexual. Ah, delightful. <laughs> um, because they read a lot of his poems as basically being queer-coded. Right. Um, Walt Whitman believed it wholeheartedly about Langston Hughes. Oh, sure. I mean, I, Walt Whitman, <laughs> oh, I love that man. Me too. Was a raging bisexual. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, loved him. <laughs> so he was like, my gaydar's up and that man... Is absolutely not straight. I'll tell you that. Um, (laughs) The biographer Aldrich argues that, quote, in order to retain the respect and and support of black churches and organizations and avoid exacerbating his precarious financial situation, Hughes remained closeted. I mean, absolutely believable. I would completely, I completely believe and understand that, that perspective. Yeah, that's one school of thought. Now, another one that I also find interesting comes from Arnold Rampersad, Rampersad, who is also one of his primary biographers. Mm -hmm. And he says that Langston Hughes did exhibit a preference for African-American men in his work and his life. But Which you he, could argue is just because that's his perspective, but you know. Okay, but he concludes that Langston Hughes was probably actually asexual. Interesting. And passive in a lot of his sexual relationships. Huh. So that's another school, school of, of thought. thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know. We don't know him. He never said, so we can't say. Interesting. But um I can I can definitely say like you you can see in his writing that He's probably not 
straight mm-hmm. is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, who knows? Well, Who's and to say? I will say for black men, the experience of homosexuality and the struggles to coming to terms with that is wildly mm-hmm. different than it is for white men. Sure. Um, and he probably like, felt a little more freedom to write in that way based on the fact that he was part of that Harlem Renaissance absolutely. where things were just being much more expressive. And, yeah. I think um, the movie Moonlight mm-hmm. shows the difference really well of, mm-hmm. of the black experience of that versus a lot of white men's experience of that. Not to say that really? it's not still difficult for all people in many different ways, but the experience is different. Yeah. And you have to think on top of that, like the first biographer we were talking about there said, like, he was a very influential figure in Uh the black community. And the black community is really tied together, at least at this time, by their very influential churches. Absolutely. And so I do think that there is probably a good amount of truth in that particular theory yeah i mean that, it has a huge effect on on his his choices of how he yeah. lived his life absolutely exactly exactly um so you know there's obviously more to his life and his travels he um becomes a lecturer uh for sure. a while um you know but most of the rest of his life is just spent writing Uh publishing his writings um so that's about as deep as i'm gonna go into it in this episode um because i didn't want to just sit here and like list every single thing he wrote because that would be not very exciting to listen to right um so we're gonna skip ahead now and on may 22nd 1967 langston hughes dies um at the this is a hard word to say stu nope (laughs) Stuyvesant, sure, polyclinic in New York City at the age of 66. Um, It was from complications after an abdominal surgery he had because he had prostate cancer. Oh, okay. Um, I just, okay, I love this. His ashes are interred beneath a floor medallion in the middle of the foyer in the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem. Uh. So it's at the entrance of this auditorium that is named for him. The design is an African cosmogram entitled Rivers. Uh. And the title is taken from that poem that I read earlier. Uh And the center of it, has the line, my soul has grown deep like the rivers. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty, too. I mean, you can uh-huh. find a picture of it. Um, He, like I said, wrote poetry up until his death mm-hmm. to the point where um, one of his works was posthumously published in 1967 called The Panther and the Lash. And this was really engaging with the Black Power movement. Uh-huh. Um, and the and specifically the Black Panther Party, which had been founded the the year before he passed and the year before uh-huh. this was published. Um, I I will say that he was one of those people who was kind of not sure uh-huh. about the Black Panther Party, but he also didn't really have that much time to like fully engage with it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but like I said at the top, this is my last little point here. He was the first black American to earn his living solely from his writing um, and his public lectures that came along with the right. writing. That's amazing. So that's the story that I have to tell. Now, we are going to drop in a couple of audios here that we can then talk about. Um, The first one is his poem called I Too. Um, Also, I believe the full title is I I Too uh, Sing America, Um, but it's usually shortened to I Too. And the recording I have here is of him reciting it reading it so we can so, hear his voice with his words yep so we're gonna listen to that i too sing america i am the darker brother they send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes but i laugh and eat well and grow strong tomorrow i'll be at the table when company comes nobody will dare say to me eat in the kitchen then Besides, they'll see how beautiful we are and be ashamed. I, too, am America. I love that one. I've heard that one before. I love that poem. Me, too. And I love hearing his voice read Mm -hmm. it. Um, So that's one of his more famous ones. And I just wanted to have a a clip of, you know. Of him reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the other one I found here, I just... Man, it's so great. So this is Martin Luther King Jr. reciting, not reading, reciting um, one of his works called Mother to Son, which is also another one of his famous um, works. He's not reciting the whole thing, but he's reciting part of it, you know, in one of his speeches. So we'll drop that here. Let nobody stop us. I close by quoting once more the man that the young lady quoted, that magnificent black bard who has now passed on, Langston Hughes. One day he wrote a poem entitled Mother to Son. The mother didn't always have her grammar right, but she uttered words of great symbolic profundity. Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal stat. It's had tax in it. Boards torn up, places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time, I's been a-climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So, boy, don't you stop now. Don't you sit down on the steps because you finds this kind of hard. But I'm still going, boy. I'm still climbing, and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Well, life for none of us has been a crystal stair, but we must keep moving. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, Keep moving. So I I love that poem. I recommend going to read the whole thing. Um, 
That just, last part is the one that I know well because I've heard that last portion of the mm-hmm. if you can't walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love just as a person who studied and writes poetry, I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with the imagery in that one of the mm-hmm. stairs with the um the tacks and no carpet. Plus the language that he uses that sort of um, I guess we would now consider it AAVE, mm-hmm. probably. Um, it's so beautiful and so beautiful co- just coming out of Martin Luther King Jr.'s mouth. Obviously. Well, he just slips into it and you hardly notice when he's yeah. transitioning from what he's saying to the poem itself. It's beautiful. I'm obsessed with great speakers just reciting poems. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what we have on Langston Hughes' life. I certainly recommend reading a lot of his works. Like I said, he's one of my favorite poets. I read him in high school, and I was just like, ugh, I was so sold on poetry after that. Mm-hmm. My first memory of Langston Hughes' like work also comes from high school, and it's not his work, but it was um, I read A Raisin in the Sun, mm. which is titled for one of his poems. And I remember distinctly because the lesson we, like the unit that we were doing with A Raisin in the Sun is we read The Great Gatsby and then we Mm -hmm. read A Raisin in the Sun and we talked about the American dream from that rich white perspective Mm -hmm. from the, and then from the black perspective. And it was really well done. Like that's how you can tell a, an English lesson sticks with you as I still think about how well constructed that unit was mm-hmm. <laughs> that that teacher put together. But like, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's, I associate that with him. And he, I think that he's usually credited as like the person who quote unquote discovered Alice Walker as uh-huh. a writer. Um, so they were close. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love yeah. that, that play. I, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I I love to read the play. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it too. Like, yeah, we we read it, the play. That's we read Gatsby, and then we read the play. Yeah, um, Gatsby's my favorite book. So uh-huh. it was a great. <laughs> just unit. hitting all the hitting uh-huh. all the best ones. Here. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just I uh, I think he's so fascinating and so smart and such a beautiful writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find as like work in the Soviet Union very interesting obviously. Yeah, that is very interesting. So, that's what we've got on yeah. Hughes. A great way and to I, end Black History Month. And I've been trying really hard not to sing that bit from Rent this old time. Same. <laughs> I very early on it came into my brain and then it kind of faded away and you just got it back. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was our last episode of Black History Month. Uh-huh. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed them. Uh, like I said, I don't really know what we're doing next month. Maybe it'll be Irish stuff. Maybe, maybe it'll, it'll be ladies. Maybe it'll be the ladies. Um, hey. Hey, who's to say? Um, but yeah, th- we it. did it. Before we do closing stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I did this after closing stuff last time, but I'll do it before this time. Uh, by the time you are hearing this. The live stream for the Project for Awesome will be over, but the donation pages for the Project for Awesome will still be live. Um, so we are we talked about this last time, and we often mention the Project for Awesome, which is a charity event that Hank and John Green have been doing for 15 years now. I realized well, the other- Well, this is the 15th one. Right. 
Um, because we got a little bit off. Right. But- <laughs> I, I realized the other day that this is my 12th one, which means this event has been a part of my life for half of my yeah. life. Me too. It's my you, 15th yeah. one. Yep. For yeah. Half. And that's half my life. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, um, but you know, we're raising money for, um, by this point, for- charities, uh, voted yeah. on by the, the community of folks who participate in the event and the, um, donation page on Tiltify will still be open. I don't know for how many days after, usually they do it for like four days after, I yeah, think. I don't, so maybe till Thursday. Do you remember when it went up? Because that would tell us it's equal on both sides of the live stream. It went up y- yesterday. It went up on Wednesday. So probably. Th- till next. So th- it'll probably be up days. until Wednesday. Um, um Anyway, yeah, so it'll be available to donate. Projectforawesome.com slash donate will take you there. Yeah. Um, and if you want to participate, it is one of our favorite things in the whole world. So make sure you click the rewards box if you want to get something yeah. for your donation because you can pick. But you can also just give. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's e- kind of easy to miss. So if you're looking to, like, get a perk mm-hmm. with your donation, that's where you'll find it. But you can also just give um, mm-hmm. an amount if you want. Um, also, if you can't give, because totally get it, um, if you could go to projectforawesome.com and just, like, I, well, actually, the voting will be closed by them, but if you could share the donation page, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, to, yeah, if you can't give, just share it out, um, while it's still up. Um, yeah, so... Now that's we can do it? closing stuff. Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's I okay. To talk about Project for Awesome. No, that's cool. It's as of at at time of recording, it's happening tomorrow, and we're excited. So, yeah. and at time of release, ideally, it will have been done for <laughs> a day. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. So, if you guys have suggestions for things you'd like us to talk about next time, or if you have other questions comments etc you can email us at remember that pod at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at rtt pod um we would really love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast and if you want to find me on the internet i am at the real anna webb and i'm at acw nerdfighter woohoo Woo. all, all right. right well friends Happy Black History Month. Yes, happy Black History Month. Um, And until next time. Remember that time.